It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on the Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about Syracuse basketball's opening win against Lehigh and looking through the Orange's non-conference schedule. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest today is our great friend from Syracuse.com, Mike Waters. Mike, always love catching up with you. How are you today? I'm doing great, Wes, and uh, it, it's always fun to talk to you, too. Uh, it means it's basketball season, and that's a great thing. Absolutely, Mike. It's basketball season is one of my favorite sentences in the English language. And, Mike, we'll get you started on this one. Jim Beheim talked about playing man-to-man defense in the preseason. He used it in two preseason games and in the opener against Lehigh. Do you think this is something we'll be seeing come March? I think he's going to be using man-to-man um, some this year throughout the year. Now, I don't know how much, and that might vary from game to game depending on the opponent. Um, it's it's already clear to me like when certain guys are on the court, he prefers to go zone. Uh, when other guys are out there, depending on lineup combinations, he will he'll go to man to man. But he's been starting in man to man in both exhibition games and the opener against Lehigh. He's been sticking with it for the most part. Um, you know, but if a Munir Hema is on the floor at center. They're probably a little better off being in the zone. Uh, it, it helps Munir in the middle uh, just to just to be working the zone instead of having to to follow somebody around. And it, also, you don't want another team dragging Munir, all six foot eleven and seven foot eight wingspan um, of him out of the paint. You, you want Munir as a rim protector, so you play zone. Uh, other guys are going to have to to do that as well. But no, I. I do think they're committed to using man-to-man at, you know, at some level, some portion, uh, some percentage throughout the season. Mike, I wanted to ask you about the forwards. Jim Beheim played five different players at wing, mainly because he really doesn't have a lot of experience there. But if he keeps it up, we're talking about a rotation of nine to ten players for a coach who rarely uses more than seven. I think you'll continue to see the four or five guys at the forward spots, the wings, um, until a couple, you know, two or three of them establish themselves as having won a battle here. He's giving them all an opportunity. And as of right now, nobody has really taken control of a position and said, this is mine and it's fine and I'm going to lock this down. Um, you know, Benny has been a little inconsistent throughout the exhibitions in the opener. He, he didn't look great in the opener at all. Chris Bell and, and Justin Taylor, you know, been typical freshmen, a little inconsistent, uh, at struggling with their shots at, at, on, in different games. So, you know, until a, a couple of these guys just establish themselves as the undisputed starter here and the guy who's going to get the bulk of the minutes, I think we're going to continue to get a rotation is, you know, Beheim might have to just kind of keep doing that in order to find the guy who's going to be good on just a given night. You know, if, if, if these guys aren't going to give him consistency, then he's just going to have to say, well, if Chris Bell isn't all, you know, on tonight, you know, he's been out there for 10 or 15 minutes and hasn't done anything, Justin's going to get a chance. And if he doesn't work, then it's going to be quite here. And you're just going to, you know, keep like trying combinations until something clicks on a given night. And then you hope eventually some of these guys start clicking on a more consistent basis. But right now, to be honest, a bunch of these guys look 
exactly like who you'd think they would look like is very inexperienced guys who are adjusting to the college level and just trying to figure a lot of things out on the fly. You mentioned Benny Williams didn't play well in the season opener against Lehigh. Should Syracuse be concerned? Yeah, no, there's definitely be concerned. Uh, You know, in the first exhibition game, he didn't get off to a great start. Bayheim had to get on him and he kicked it into gear and it finishes with 15 points and 12 rebounds. And you're like, there you go. That's how you play the game. And in the second exhibition, he kind of backed it down a little bit. He didn't, wasn't quite as involved. He, he shot the ball too much. He was one of seven from the field. He took two threes. I mean, obviously I'm, I don't have to tell you he didn't make them because his shot's just not there yet, but you know, he still had eight rebounds and you're like, okay, listen, we're not counting on Benny for points. Eight rebounds would be a great average. And, man, then the opener against Lehigh rolls around, and it was last year's Benny again. He floated around the court. He didn't affect the game. He didn't – you know, again, we go back to questions about his motor and, you know, is he going to play hard? He's on the floor for 23 minutes and gets three rebounds. And, and again, he's like, – and Beheim said this after the game – He's trying to play like a two guard, and he's a power forward. They want him to be a power forward. You know, and you think about, you know, the power forwards of old. Uh, you know, the guys that just crashed the boards for offensive rebounds and putbacks, and that's where you, he could get his points. And you know, we, he, of those three round, rebounds, none of them were off the offensive glass either. And it's like, any, you know, you need to be like just swarming around that offensive glass. And he goes one of five from the field. Again, he takes a three and doesn't make it and you know he just didn't play the game the way a power forward is supposed to play it and you look down the box score and there sits a Malik Brown who in just under 13 minutes got the same number of rebounds Benny did in 23 uh he got three rebounds he had seven points and you know the other thing Malik Brown has been doing in the three games we've seen so far the two exhibitions plus the opener is when he gets his points they're all around the rim He's around the glass. He's getting lay-ins and dunks. He's getting offensive putbacks. And, you know, Malik Brown is going to start pushing Benny for minutes here unless Benny really gets the idea of how he's supposed to play the game as a power forward. You know, play it hard. You know, uh, play it like your opponent just insulted your mom. That's the way he's got to play. Every minute he's on the floor is play like the other guy just said something really bad about his mom. <laughs> That's definitely one way to get motivated. And Mike, let's talk about the guards. Judah Mintz, Samir Torrance, and Joe Girard all played really well against Lehigh. This is a good problem to have for Jim Beheim. But how do you see him splitting the minutes among the three if they all play well like this? Oh, I, I think it's going to be relatively easy. Because uh, to, to, you know, Joe's going to get minutes. Because you, you want to leave your leading score, your, your, your shooter, the guy you're relying on out there. Because you know sometimes you just you don't come right out and hit like three threes to start a game and oh I can go take a break now. Sometimes he's you know you're going to miss one or two if you're a shooter, but you have to leave that guy on the floor till he finds his rhythm. So Joe plays, and you know Judah is the starter, but as a freshman, he's obviously going to have moments where. Another team's going to try to pressure him or rattle him, or if he's just not seeing what the other team's defense is. And that's when it's great to have a veteran guy like Samir to come in off the bench and maybe run the offense, you know, with his poise and composure 
and the way he just is a natural ball distributor. He's going to be looking for Gerard when he comes in or looking for entry passes to Jesse. And that gives Judah time to kind of observe, sit on the bench, sit next to Jerry McNamara and Alan Griffin or whoever, and, and let them kind of point out, hey, listen, this is what they're doing. See what, and see how Simeon counters that. And this is what, and you can process it from, from the bench for a few minutes. You know, so I, I just don't think Judah Mintz is going to be the kind of guy who's going to get 36, 37 minutes a game as a freshman. And that's, so I think Simeon gets his floor time, whether it's going to be between 10, 12, you know, minutes a game, maybe 15 on give on some other nights. But I tell you what, though, as much as there was concern about the forwards coming out of that game against Lehigh, the way Gerard Mintz and Symeer all played, man, if you can get that kind of you know play from those three guys, then you're you're going to be in pretty decent shape. I mean, Joe shot the ball well. He didn't overshoot it. Uh, I mean, a very efficient four of six from three-point range. Symeer was great off the bench. And, and Judah had a great game. Uh, Judah, Judah played the game the way they want him to. He, he did try to, like, move the ball around and distribute it, but he didn't lose his attacking sense that he got into the lane, didn't take a single three-pointer. There was He had an advantage over every single defender Lehigh put on him. He could go by every one of those guys. And if – and he's quick. He's got a good first step off his dribble. As when he stops dribbling back and forth and just staying in front of the guy, every once in a while he has a tendency to dribble a lot and go nowhere. But when he realizes that when he penetrates and realizes he can get by his guy, he, he's he's going to cause some disruption for other teams' defenses. And you know that's when he goes six for nine. And not only does he go six for nine from the field, but he got he drew fouls in the paint. He goes to the free throw line, collects another four points. Now, he didn't go to the line hardly at all in the two exhibition games. I think he shot one free throw total in those two games. Well, for a guy who's going to penetrate and and bring defenders to him and can finish, you know, can finish his drives around the rim, you, know, you want to see, you know, he's the type of guard who can get fouled and get to the line. Uh, you know, last year the guards, you know, Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard didn't really go to the line that much. I think Judah can live there if he continues to attack like that. And Mike, we'll get you out of here on this one. Normally at this time of year, I ask you if Syracuse is an NCAA tournament team, but like most years, they're going to be on the bubble, so I'll ask it a different way. What games does Syracuse need to win to make their resume into an NCAA tournament resume? Well, in our preview section at Syracuse.com, my final prediction for the regular season record was 18-13, and 13, and I said that doesn't make the tournament because when I mapped it out, I was kind of looking at it and was like, listen, 18-13 is not bad. And I think a lot of Syracuse fans after last year would sign up for that. <laughs> you know, so we'll, we'll have to see if they even get there. But even just getting there, the, when I was picking out wins and losses, I, I, don't, I didn't have them with many quad one wins. Uh, you know, I had them losing to North Carolina and Duke at, at the wireless dome. Uh, I had them losing on the road to Illinois. I had losing a few other road games that would be quad one wins if they could get a win in those games, but I didn't have it that way. Um, so I think 18 and 13 isn't going to be the, you know, you're not going to have those quad one, quad two games to, to get yourself in. In order to get in, they have to win a couple of those games I just mentioned. You know, can they upset a top 25 Illinois team on the road in just a couple of weeks from now? And with the use of this team, I don't know if they're going to be ready to pull that off. But it's possible by the you know near middle and end of the season, could they pull an upset at home over Duke or Carolina? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so do that, pick off a couple more road games, and they can't have the losses that last year's team had. They can't lose to Colgate. They can't lose to, like last year's loss to Georgetown was a horrible loss, even though it was on the road. Georgetown was so bad, I think it was still a quad three loss. You know, so when Georgetown comes to the Dome this year, you know, Georgetown's picked 10th, I think, in the 11-team Big East. You better win that game. You can't have those kind of bad losses if you're fighting to get quality wins up in the quad one range. So they have to have, I don't know, to put it in soccer terms for a goalie, they need a clean sheet. <laughs> you know, when a goalie has a shutout, they call it a clean sheet. Syracuse is going to have to have a clean sheet on its on its schedule here where they don't have any bad losses and at some point they got to pick up you know a few quality wins and and even at that you're probably on the bubble but you might be on the good side of the bubble instead of the bad side Mike thanks so much for coming back on the program again Syracuse.com's Mike Waters Mike we always appreciate the time enjoy the start of the college basketball season we'll catch up with you soon Wes it's always a pleasure man it's good to hear from you have a good basketball season. Mike Waters is just absolutely one of my favorite people to speak with, just one of the best sports writers in the business. We're always lucky to have him on as a guest. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, Syracuse basketball opened its 2022-23 season with a 90-72 to win over Lehigh. What were your main takeaways from the game? First of all, Wes, what really stood out to me, did I really see Syracuse's defense playing man-to-man? Yes, I did. And that is such a rare sight for longtime followers of Syracuse basketball. It's been a while to see that defense. And really, I have to do a double take because they really are playing man-to-man. And I like seeing it. I really like seeing that contrast to the famous 2-3 zone now we have to see, you know, is this team going to be uh, get, gutting down and getting really uh, in a mental framework to play man-to-man? Because besides the athleticism and physical ability, which certainly seems to be there, playing defense is, is mental. And you really have to buckle down and really guard that man uh, in, in close proximity playing that defense. So I like seeing the man-to-man. I like seeing it matched up with playing zone. I like to see Coach Beheim, you know, switching the defenses as the game situation dictates. So that was one thing that really stood out to me. The other thing is this team has athletes. And certainly coming off of last year where there was not a lot of athleticism and speed in the entire roster, that's a different story with this year's team and so many of the new faces uh, on the roster. So it's great to see that athleticism, knowing it's going to take a little bit of time for the offense to get in sync. And offensively, let's see who's going to be able to be reliable in doing in converting three-point shots other than Joe Girard. I certainly think players like Judah Mintz and Chris Bell and Justin Taylor can hit those shots, but that will be interesting to see the contrast with outside shooting and also getting the ball inside Uh, to the great inside play that Jesse Edwards demonstrated in the season opening game. The other thing that stands out is, uh, as Coach Beheim, as you mentioned, uh, experimented with different roster combinations and how that's going to shake out over the rest of the non-conference schedule. We know the starting five apparently is definitely going to be Gerard, Mintz, Edwards, Bell, 
and Benny Williams. But, you know, there, there are five other players that, you know, could see playing time, which would kind of go against the grain of what Jim Beheim has done with a usual seven- to eight-man rotation. Certainly, Samir Torrance is going to uh, have playing time. Uh, I, I think Benir Hima definitely is going to be the backup to Jesse Edwards. So if there's foul trouble, he's going to play. So that leaves the other three freshmen, Malik Brown, who I've liked his play so far in the exhibition games and the season opener. I think Kadir Copeland's going to emerge into a great player. And I think Justin Taylor has great basketball IQ and really looks like a smart player. So that's 10 right there. It's really going to be interesting to see how that shakes out, Wes, in the rest of the non-conference schedule. Brad, that's an excellent segue into my next question. Let's talk about that non-conference schedule. It's highlighted by a matchup at Illinois in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. There's Georgetown as per tradition. Then Syracuse also plays in the Empire Classic in New York City. Break it all down for us, Brad. We're certainly going to know a lot about this team before the final non-conference game on December 17th against Cornell. And what I kind of want to see is, of course, the improvement how this team is going to gel, how they're going to get in sync at both ends of the court, who's going to emerge to be players that the coaching staff can trust with the most playing time. And as the schedule shakes out, I really think it's it's almost the perfect schedule for a team that has so many new faces that are going to contribute in key positions. As you mentioned, Colgate, well, it's going to be a tough game. I kind of broke down the final non-conference games and the one league game against Notre Dame into these categories of tricky and what I think would be games Syracuse should be favored and should not have as much problems to win. I would label, first of all, starting with Colgate the next game as tricky because of what happened last year. And uh, even though it's it's not the same Colgate team as a year ago that, that really had its way against Syracuse and lost its uh, opening game by a point at Buffalo, Still a very talented and well-coached team. Northwestern, I would put as a game that Syracuse should win. I'll put Richmond as a game that Syracuse should win. If they face St. John's in the second game at the uh, Empire Classic, I'd say that's certainly going to be tricky. If they face Temple for some reason in that second game in Brooklyn, I'm going to say that's going to balance between should win and tricky. Uh, Bryant, I think, is going to be tricky. I think they have a very sneaky, good team. I think the game at Illinois is going to be really tough and likely uh, a game that Syracuse would not come away with a victory in the ACC Big Ten Challenge Series. The game at Notre Dame, the open ACC play, I'd say the same thing for December 3rd. Not a game that you think Syracuse might come out of that with a victory. Notre Dame, to me, is going to be uh, certainly a uh, top-tier ACC team or into the middle tier, but certainly a quality ACC team this year. Oakland is a game I would say right now Syracuse should win. Georgetown coming off its first game, an overtime win against Coppin State. Uh, always the Syracuse-Georgetown rivalry tough. But I think at the Dome, this is a game that Syracuse w- should win and get revenge for losing last year in D.C. Monmouth is yet to play a game, so I'm going to kind of reserve judgment on that. And then Cornell to end the non-conference schedule on December 17th. I'm going to still put tricky at this point. A lot of games to be played right now, but uh, Cornell was very competitive in its first game, although they lost. And Brad, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. Well, with a football team winding down with three regular season games to be played in the Dome against Florida State and 
tough road game against Wake Forest and the finale at rival Boston College. I'm really going to be looking to see how this team finishes up. Uh, can they get, you know, one to two wins in those final three games to go out with a burst of momentum before the bowl invitations come out on December 4th? And the other thing that's going to be certainly critical in December for the football program is recruiting. Uh, you've had an opportunity, Wes, to talk to a lot of prospects this fall who have come to games in the Dome. They've been very impressed with the product they've seen on the field, and certainly making a bowl game helps recruiting. So the early signing period is going to be imperative for Syracuse as they continue to need to build depth with so many top-line players uh, going out with season-ending injuries. It's going to be really interesting to see how the uh, recruitment shapes up and continues to build depth for this program in the ACC, and then also how the coaching staff scours the transfer portal in plucking players at key positions, in my opinion, wide receiver, both the offensive and defensive lines, uh, and uh, defensive secondary, to get and other skill positions offensively, uh, to get players that are really going to be able to make an immediate impact on the program and continue to build depth against what every team has is injuries during the season. Brad, my closing thoughts are on Syracuse men's soccer coach Ian McIntyre, who on Wednesday was named ACC Coach of the Year. It's well-deserved that Syracuse won the Atlantic Division after going 13-2-3 in the regular season, including 5-1-2 in ACC play. This all came after Syracuse received zero first-place votes in the preseason poll. McIntyre has been with Syracuse since 2010, and this is certainly one of his best seasons yet in Orange. Congratulations to him on an outstanding season so far. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that clowns have no respect for pie. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 